I love goal setting. That's uh, one of those weird things about me. Uh, I love the idea of the, you know, the smart goal, specific, measurable, action-oriented. Maybe no one else knows what I'm talking about. This is how much of a nerd I am. I love that kind of stuff. Um, I love like facing reality and being like, yeah, I'm terrible at this. Like, I need to work and get better at this. But I more importantly love dreaming about the future, like where we could be and like what I could be doing or, or um, uh, whatever. And so I, I love that, that concept and, and I love planning like the, okay, how do I get from here to there? Like here are the steps in between and how to do it. And I break it down into all these measurable steps and I, kind of, I just love that whole process. I love goal setting way more than achieving my goals. Can anyone else? It's like, yeah, I love like thinking and dreaming about what, where we could be or what I could be doing or whatever, but then the actually doing it part is the hard thing. And so um, there's been multiple times I've been like, okay, this year, healthy. Like, I'm going to be so healthy this year, eating healthy, all that kind of stuff, you know. And so a, a couple uh, months ago, I uh, started following a bunch of like health diet like people on Instagram. And uh, I started seeing that they post all these before and after pictures. And it was like every time I get my Instagram feed, I, I, I just scroll and I see so many of them. And it, that, it continues to inspire me to be like, okay, if they can go from that, yeah, I can do this. Like, I can do this. Now, before and that after, just so simple, right next to each other. Like, who I was, who I am now. What, what things used to look like, what things look like now, right? Like, who, who, the old, the new. And friends, we all get this. There's, there's all elements. I mean, this time of the year, every year, it seems like there's this natural tendency to kind of reflect and say, man, what are some things that I, I want to I change? Like that, that was true last year. I, I want to do something. I want this year to be different. And there's some old stuff we want to get rid of and, and some new stuff that we want to pursue. And, and there's that before and there's that after. And honestly, every single one of us has that as part of our life. Like that's literally what it means to be in this process of being transformed by Jesus. Is that this world was created perfect, it was paradise, it was heaven on earth. And yet we, we rebelled, we sinned against our creator. We said, you know, your plan for us, the way you design it, uh uh-uh, not gonna work for me. And what happened is we began making decisions that hurt ourselves and those around us, which is established a hell on earth. And the result is that we're both guilty and sick, and the sickness is that we're guilty of breaking God's law, and we're sick in the fact that we keep making these decisions for some reason, and we just can't stop, and we're stuck in the old, and that when Jesus came as a man, he showed us, he gave us a glimpse of what the full life could look like, what the new is, and we're stuck in the before, and we see a glimpse, because of Jesus, of what after picture could be. And the good news of the gospel is this, the good news of Jesus is this, that you can move from old to new. Like you can be transformed from old to new, from before to after, because Jesus came and died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins, your guilt is done. He resurrected from the dead and he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell every single one of us that that choose to follow Jesus and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit helps us stop being sick. It helps us, he helps us get well again. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus who change the world. So what is a disciple? A disciple does these three things, okay? And it comes from this verse, Matthew 4, verse 19. Jesus said to the very first disciples, he said, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And that's his invitation to every single one of you, to come follow Jesus. I'll help you go from old to new, from before to after. 
I will make you, I will transform you to be fishers of men. And so a disciple comes from that verse, the definition, these three, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, these three things, it's these three circles we use here at church. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's on mission with Jesus. It's all three. If you want to follow Jesus, you want to move from old to new, from those old habits of the past and that before picture you want to get rid of, to the after picture and to the new life, it's those three. Follow Jesus. Follow the way of life that he shows us and and allow him to transform you and change you and to get on mission with what he's doing by making other disciples too. Today we're going to focus in on what does it mean to be changed by Jesus. What's fascinating is we as the elders and ministers of our church a couple of years ago, we read through the Holy Testament and we asked three questions about disciples. Uh, we said, what do disciples look like? What do they do and how are they produced? And we were shocked on the how they are produced question by one of the answers we saw in the New Testament. We saw very things, basic things that maybe many of you who follow Jesus for a long time, you would expect to see. We saw go to gathered worship. Like this environment makes disciples. We saw environment where, where it's more intimate and, and relationships can be developed. Those make disciples. We saw the habits and the commitments of prayer and telling others about Jesus. That's what makes disciples. But then there is this one that was so clear we could not reject it or deny it. It's one word. Suffering. It's like all over the New Testament. All around the life of Jesus and, and his disciples and, and, and the early church and, and the letters from Paul and Peter and James to the early church was this. Suffering that happens to you, those trials, those tough times, the troubles, it, it, those are opportunities for your faith to be strengthened and refined. And I don't know about you, but I, I sure, when that ball dropped on December 31st, I was sure hoping that January 1st was a magical day. <laughs> we just woke up from a dream. It's like the Matrix. It's like, oh, that was all a dream. It's like, no, COVID's still around. I don't know about you, but last year, I'm sure you experienced some kind of suffering, some trouble, some trial, a tough time. The new year is not a magical day. 2021, there's no guarantee, no promise that no suffering is gonna happen. And we look at this new year, and we, we can make a big assumption, like this is gonna be better than last year, but what if it isn't? Like what if this year is worse? What if this year you encounter suffering again? That's actually a really silly question. Because it's not if we encounter suffering again, it's when. Because it will come. So here's my question today I wanna ask you. What is your resolution when it comes to suffering? There's a book written by the Apostle Peter called First Peter, named after him. We're going to study this book for the next six weeks. If you want to do a reading plan along with this book and read and do a devotional, there's, I'm going to show you, share a different way to do a devotional each week. One of them is from a version. If you are a version person, you can click on that version Bible and do a reading plan. This is called First Peter Explained, Refined by Fire. Seven days. So from day to, till next week, you can do a devotional through the book of First Peter with us. But this book of First Peter is written by the Apostle Peter to a bunch of Christians scattered all throughout Asia Minor, the modern-day country of Turkey. And Peter wrote this letter to them 
in the midst of a season of suffering. And this is what he says to them in verses six and seven. I'm just gonna live in these two verses today. He says this, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Meaning in all the stuff I just, uh, I just talked about before, the, the new birth, the living hope that you have in Jesus, and all this you greatly rejoice. Yeah, it's good news. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to center on, on these three words to, to start off. These have come. These trials, these troubles, these tough times have come. For the church that Peter was talking to, uh, it was the early 60s AD. Peter might have been in prison at this time, maybe not. But Emperor Nero was reigning on the throne of Rome. Nero was a nasty emperor of Rome. He was a sycophant. He, um, there's all kinds of horrible stories I could tell about Nero. But one of the ones you probably hear is the saying that Nero fiddled while Rome burned, right? History show, tells us that a large part of Rome burned to the ground one night. It was right next to the palace, Nero's palace. And it was just, the, it was, what a coincidence that it was the area that he wanted to expand his palace to build a bigger palace. That was the area that burned down. And it said while Rome was burning, he was fiddling on the top of his roof, right? Well, everyone looked at Nero and said, um, did you do this? this? This is the area you've been talking about at the city council meetings that you want to build, right? And he said, oh, it wasn't me. And he pointed to the group of people that no one else knew, knew what to do with, a group of people called Christians. I think it was them. And thus began the very first persecution of the church by the Roman Empire. Christians would be hung on poles and they would be um, burn, uh, they were burned alive to light the garden, uh, Nero's gardens. And it was this persecution that was breaking out against the church. And Peter said, these trials, these sufferings, these perse- persecutions have come so that your faith may be refined. The other morning, I, uh, we woke up. It was like a Saturday morning. It was slow and uh, which doesn't mean anything for our kids. They still get up way too early. Um, but Jerry and Chandler, our five-year-old and th- two-year-old now, uh, got up in our bed and were sleeping. And I just stared at their face and I just thought, oh, I love them so much. Don't wake up. <laughs> but I love them so much. And I just thought, this thought came to my mind, I-, I would do anything to keep any pain or heartbreak or heartache, or, or, or tough time from them. And the Lord just kind of said, uh, is that what's best for them? I was reading this book for this sermon, and it's the me I want to be, and there's a chapter that's dedicated to suffering. And Ortberg kind of pulls out, parses out this kind of struggle we have when it comes to suffering in our kids. He says, if you could wave a wand and erase every failure, disappointment, and suffering, are you sure it would be a good idea? Would that enable your children to grow into the best versions of themselves? That one hurt. Is it possible that in some way people actually need adversity and setbacks, maybe even something like trauma, 
to reach the fullest level of development and growth. What's your resolution when it comes to suffering? These have come. Peter says it this way. He says, these have come so that your faith, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. That's, I, want, I, want to, I want to focus on, he uses an imagery from the goldsmith. These trials have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. And it, kind of like how fire refines gold. You see, gold had impurities in it, and they would take this raw gold, they'd put it into the refinery, this hot furnace, and the hot fire would, would kind of melt away all the impurities, or it would make the, them rise to the top of the surface of the metal, and they would scrape them off and make the gold more pure. And that's what he's talking about, is this trial, this tough time, this struggle that you're going through, or that your kid's going through, there's actually an opportunity for it to refine, to get rid of all of the self-dependence that we have, all of the pride, all of the self-reliance on ourselves as Americans to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, fix the problem. Well, we can't just fix COVID. We just can't just fix that or our marriage or our addiction. Actually, they keep destroying us. You see... God doesn't cause these fires. Living in a fallen world is what brings about these trials and these tribulations and these tough times. But what God knows they do is they reveal to us the brokenness that's already inside of us. It's kind of like toothpaste. You don't know what's in it until you, what, you squeeze the tube, right? Or you roll the thing up and then you get some out. Like that's what, that's what trials and, and tough times and, and, and troubles do is they, 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 don't, they don't break you. They reveal the brokenness inside of you that's already there. COVID didn't break you. It revealed to you the brokenness that was already inside of you. And what we can do with that brokenness is one or two things. We either take it to God and we say, listen, God, refine me. This is here, I need help, and he transforms us from before to after, from old to new, or we hide it, and we mask it, and we try to shove it into a closet or get rid of it, and it ends up destroying us over time. So you have a choice to make when, when these things happen. Am I gonna allow this suffering to transform me or destroy me? Let me ask you that question again. What's your resolution when it comes to Suffering. Because Peter says this is, this is the, hopefully the end goal, is that this suffering is going to refine your faith, it's going to reveal the brokenness inside of you that you bring to God, and which may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's the end goal. There's a, a statement that people say that's in the Bible that's just not. It's just, it's, it's actually a lie, but our culture's kind of taken it and said, yep, see, and they just kind of claim this, this statement and say, this is, this is true, I can get through this tough time, and it's this. We say, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. There's no chapter verse for that. Like Jesus never said that, Gospels, the New Testament. No, it's not there. It's actually, what they do talk about is God will never allow temptation to come that, that there's not a way for you to choose to not succumb to that temptation. He'll always give you a way out from choosing to sin. But it doesn't say that he'll never give you more than you can handle. It actually shows the opposite. That again and again and again, these people, these broken people like you and me, they encounter these situations and it's more than they can handle. And what do they do? They trust God. 
in the midst of it. And they're refined in the process and they become stronger and better and they have a greater, deeper faith and greater, deeper dependence on God in their lives. I love how Ortberg described this. He said, God could have let Abraham stay in the comfort of Ur. Moses, stay in the splendor of Pharaoh's courts. And Aaron, stay in the safety of the crowd. He could have kept David away from Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. Daniel out of the lion's den, Elijah away from Jezebel, Nehemiah out of captivity, Jonah out of the whale, John the Baptist away from Herod, Esther from being threatened, Jeremiah from being rejected, and Paul from being shipwrecked. But he didn't. In fact, God used each one of these trials to bring people closer to himself to produce perseverance, character, and hope. I love the way he summarizes this, God isn't at work producing the circumstances you want. God is at work in bad circumstances producing the you he wants. So this year, let's make a different type of resolution. Not about losing weight or exercising or finances or being more intentional with family. All those things are good and maybe you make those goals as well. But let's make a resolution about suffering. Because we know it's not if, it's when. And every week we're going to make resolutions. Here's the first one we're going to make today. Resolution number one is this. I resolve to let my trials transform me instead of destroy me. Take a moment, take a picture of this, write it down, or type it out on your phone. We actually have cards that are on the t- two tables in the middle of the room and on the platforms over here and over here, and there's six blanks. For the next six weeks, we're gonna make a resolution every single week, every single one of us. And every, after every resolution, we're gonna ask you, so what are you gonna do? What are you gonna commit to doing to, to keeping this resolution for the year? And so today, I resolve to let my trials transform me instead of destroy me. I think of James chapter uh, 1 where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance complete its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Like, that's what happens when you let your trials, when they come, here's the time for me to allow this suffering to transform me, not destroy me. I'll be honest, uh, a couple months ago, I wanted to get, I I remember saying to somebody, I wanna get through this year and this pandemic as quickly as possible. And God was like, hold hold up, hold up here. You really think that's the goal? Or maybe the goal should be You need to slow down. And you need to let this hard, refining work do its work on your heart, Si. On your marriage. On your faith. Who are you becoming in the midst of this? Not how fast can you get through it. I'm going to give you a list of prayers to pray This is a way in which to commit to the resolution. I'm gonna let my trials transform me, not destroy me. Pick one of these prayers. God will say yes to every one of these prayers because they're his will. 1 John 5 says, if you ask anything according to the will of God, he will do it. And these are all the will of God for your life. 
But these are dangerous prayers to pray. I'm just warning you. Pray this prayer. You might find yourself in the middle of the midst of a trial where this prayer God is saying, yes, here's an opportunity for you. Here they are. God, make me more like Jesus. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray this year. And when trial and suffering comes, don't be surprised. Say, okay, God, how are you making me more, more like Jesus in this tough time? God, use me to make your name famous. God, humble me. Oh, boy, that's a, that's a dangerous one. God, make me a person of prayer. Make, God, increase my faith. God, deepen my understanding of your grace and faithfulness. Take a picture of that. We're going to have some time or write it down in your phone or in your journal. We're going to take some time later to kind of walk through these again. Um, but before we, we take some time to kind of pray about your resolution and what you're going to do this year in order to commit to praying and, and be ready for that trial whenever it comes, uh, I, I invited um, a couple from our family, our church family, um, Jackie and Sergio Rizzo, are going to come up and they're going to share with you all how a recent trial uh, has refined them and their faith in their family. Like many of you all, Sergio and I, we pray in each new year, Lord, give us a word, show us what the year's going to be like. And I remember it was about seven years ago he gave us the word hard, and I thought, oh no, Lord, you got it wrong, take it back. But this year, so when he gave us the word faith, I thought, we can do that. Regardless of the outcome, he's still good. And then November 6th hit. <laughs> And our son, we got a call from an officer. Our son had been in a car wreck on I-44. He was hit by someone traveling over 100 miles per hour, swiped his car, and he flipped nearly 15 times on I-44. All right, Lord. <laughs> Whatever the outcome is, you're still good. We get to the hospital, and I look at him, and he, he looks broken. This is my, this is my baby boy. Quickly, things turned for the worse. They put him on a ventilator, got on a helicopter, and they took him to Kansas City to Children's Mercy. Serge and I, because of COVID, couldn't go with him, so we drove. And we drove in silence. We didn't have any words. We had a lot of tears, but we didn't have words. We'd been here before, and we knew. We knew we, knew we needed the church. So within that first hour, I took to social media because how else are you going to get the word out as quickly as you can, right? When your baby boy needs prayer. And within the first hour, we had over a thousand people praying. And I felt a peace that passes all understanding that when I could walk into Kansas City and I could see him on a ventilator where a machine is breathing for him, the only way that I knew, that I knew... <laughs> that I could hold on to my faith was, is because the church prayed us through it. That no matter the outcome, God, God is still good. So November 6th is a Friday. That week is um, election week. And if I'm honest with you, I was not in a very good place. And quite honestly, I've not been in a good place a lot of times over the last year. Um, but that week in particular, there's probably two or three nights where I slept three or four hours because I was consumed and concerned and frustrated and angry and hurt and sad and all those things at the same time. So when we get the call and, well, even that night, Jackie and I had had a little bit of a tiff. So she was in the back room and I was in 
Has that ever happened over the last year over silliness? When we get the call and we head to the hospital and immediately everything is brought into perspective. And over the next two nights, I've probably slept about four or five hours in those three-ish days because my son is in need. And it's around 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. Josiah has been off the ventilator a few hours, and he is just now waking up. And he's talking. And he's telling me about um, the firefighter um, who just happened to be behind him and the off-duty firefighter who helped him get out. And he's telling me about the experience of rolling and he's telling, we're texting his friends and I'm actually, he's telling me what to say. I'm texting for him because he can't use his hands. And God teaches me something. Um, I have these moments and I often wonder why in that moment do I have to learn that lesson? And that lesson was gratitude. It's the deepest sense of gratitude I've ever felt, but it's a different kind of a gratitude because all the other gratitude I've had up until this time in my life has been an outcome-based gratitude. Jackie cooks a good meal. I'm grateful for her. I receive a promotion at work. I'm grateful for that promotion. I, like All of the gratitude that I've had in my life up until November 8th has been produced by something I desired. And yet this gratitude was not outcome-based. This gratitude was based on God having come near to me and come near to my family in a time of need. And what I've been learning through this is that that gratitude is what naturally flows from God's grace. His undeserved um, forgiveness, his unfettered invitation into his family as a co-heir, his lavish lavish grace and from that comes gratitude and from gratitude comes generosity and this generosity is generous in forgiveness generous in understanding generous in patience generous in relationship generous in resource and I'm learning all this even today as I'm speaking because it's something that I think will take time for me to fully embrace What I'm realizing is that whenever I pull back on my generosity, have you had a tough time this past year with another person? And I think it's natural. I've said it, I just don't know if I'm ready to forgive. Whenever I pull back on that generosity, relationship, forgiveness, patience, understanding, my resources, I'm learning it's because I'm lacking gratitude. And I'm learning the only reason I lack gratitude is because I'm lacking the remembrance of God's grace in my life. That yet while I was an enemy of God, he sent Christ Jesus for me. That's what I'm learning. But what we'd like to end with is a little bit of what Josiah has learned. He goes to College Heights Christian School and he's had a really tough year. And if you talk with him, he started out at Joplin. And College Heights Christian School has just been uber generous in helping him through this time. And we're grateful for that. So in Bible class, one of the things he had to do as a makeup assignment was 
to write about the accident. And these are the last two paragraphs from Josiah. The church really stepped up. Thank you, College Heights. You all did. We're so grateful for you. And not just this church, but the global church. This is my 16-year-old's words. He sees it too. The church really stepped up and helped my family when we were in need. God protected the other people on the road that night since I didn't end up hitting any other cars while I was flipping. And the fact that there was an off-duty firefighter behind me when I crashed is no coincidence. God protected me in the hospital when my airway started to close. He helped the doctors notice what was happening early on. I saw God's love through the kind nurses and doctors in the hospital and through my friends who helped my family by sending us food or just checking in on me. God answered a lot of prayers during the time of the wreck, and not just my own and my family's, but also those of our friends as well. God was really active during my wreck, not just helping me, but others as well. And I see that now. And here are the last two sentences. I wonder what God has planned for me since he protected me so much during the crash. I just hope I don't miss it whenever it presents itself. We pray. Gratitude, Father. Yes, we are grateful. And though the world intends things for bad, you make good. Gratitude, Father, in the midst of our suffering, thank you for having protected our boy. Thank you for this church, this family of believers who circled us. Thank you for all of the heartache that not just our family has felt, but this family has felt. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that truly understand. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Romans 5 says this. Only so we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. No. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That hope that Sergio and Jackie talked about was not in an outcome. It was not wishful thinking about things will work out in the end, that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Their hope came from the historical reality that three days after Jesus' body was placed in a tomb, that that tomb was empty. Amen. That when there's death in front of us in this world, that our God is a God of resurrection. Right. That he takes old things and he makes them new. He takes before pictures and he gives you an after he takes suffering and he uses those moments to refine in us who we were always meant to be. Life to the full. Life in union with God, totally dependent and reliant on him. If you don't have this hope, 
I'm going to invite you to come today and, and talk to one of our ministers and elders and, and our volunteers. Yeah, gang, go ahead and get up. Ministers, elders, we'll be on these platforms here on both sides. Our volunteer team, we're going to have a few songs that we're singing um, that we'll worship. If you feel led to like come and get, get prayed for, just come to one of those platforms on either side. Prayer team, go ahead and move there. Go ahead and move so they know where you're going. And turn those lights on, those tables. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. We're going to give you time during these next couple of worship songs to grab one of those cards I was telling you about. They're on these two tables out here in the middle. They're on the tables that are by our prayer team over here. Come grab a, ta- come grab a card. Come grab a pen. And I'll put that resolution up one more time. Here's a resolution that I want you to write down today. I resolve to let my trials transform me instead of destroy me. I'm going to ask you to write that down. Make that your resolution. And then put up those prayers one more time. So I will do, pray one of these prayers this year. Pick a prayer right now in your mind. It doesn't have to be word for word or verbatim. Just get the idea. Make it your prayer today. Let's worship the God of hope that we have.